This is the Six Figure Creative Podcast, episode 186. Welcome to the Six Figure Creative Podcast, where our mission is to help you turn your creative passions into a stable, reliable income. If you're in audio, video, design, photography, or really any other creative field, and you just want to learn from other successful creatives, you're in the right place. Welcome back to another episode of the Six Figure Creative Podcast. I am your host, Brian Hood, and I'm here with my big, bald, beautiful, weird, kind of weird co-host, if you can see what he's doing right now on camera, uh, Christopher J. Graham. (laughs) Chris, how are you doing today, my dude? Brian, I'm great. And I'm great because yesterday I had a return credit at Best Buy. Wait, 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 wait. (laughs) You shop at Best Buy? Who shops at? People still shop at Best Buy? I love Best Buy, which br- brings me to a second level of conversation that maybe we shouldn't have yet, but I've started recently shopping at a place called Micro Center. And Micro Center, it smells like nerds, dude. It smells like nerds? So it's like the sweatiest shop on earth? It is. And it's like a build your own computer. It's like, oh, cool. They built like a VR racing rig or they've got a computer monitor that's 360 degrees around your head. Like it's just a nerd store and they've got lots of good audio gear, but lots of great computer gear. And I want to get us a sponsorship. No, I I will say no. Thank you, sir. (laughs) Good. Goodbye. (laughs) I'll hang up the phone because they'll call me on a, on a landline. I'll I'll have a landline (laughs) planted somewhere in my house because no one shops at Best Buy or whatever. Compute. What is this place called? I'm not even going to give them the time of day. Tell me your story, Chris. You had a story for me, and that's the only thing you drew me in, and then you pushed me away with this this trash story about. It's true, but I created anticipation for the actual story. Well, I went to Micro Center. I had a blast with my kids. They were freaking out. I bought them like cool gaming computer stuff, and then the next day, I I had to return something that I bought and didn't that didn't work out for me at Best Buy, and so I had to store credit. And I I was looking around thinking of what I should send my spend my store credit on, and I was like, you know. My last apartment, I had a robot vacuum and it was pretty nice. And every day at two o'clock, this robot vacuum, this very cheap and expensive robot vacuum would turn on and it would vacuum my house. And then I got Buster. I got my dog and it was amazing until one day Buster was home alone at two o'clock and he made a little poo-poo. Chris, you've told this story in the podcast before. This is already a story we've told. Why are you telling it again? It has a resolution. That vacuum cleaner ate the poo-poo. Yeah, and it smeared it around your house, and it got that video got some views on TikTok. So thanks for that. But what, what's the point for our audience who's already heard the story? Well, I went to Best Buy, and they just so happened to have a brand new robot. Brian, I'm going to introduce you to her. Her name's Jill Palmer. Oh, ours is named Tippy. Oh, Jill Palmer won't let me turn her on. Of course, she's not, she she's shy right now, guys. But Jill Palmer. Oh, oh boy, Brian, I'm so excited because my apartment is ridiculously clean right now. We are not sponsored, but I got the one with poo-poo protection. Wait, there's a poo-poo protection robot? Yes, the iRobot J7 has a camera in front of it and they tested thousands of piles of poop to make sure that the vacuum cleaner would be like, yo, I'm not going to smear that into the carpet. And it was like half off and I had a store credit and I picked that sucker up, man. And I'm so excited to have a system that I don't have to think about. It's just my, my freaking apartment gets cleaned. And so I can focus on everything else. I like the payoff. For those who are longtime listeners, you've heard the story arc. Chris got a, a dog he adopted and then it pooped on the floor and it got smeared everywhere by his old vacuum. And it was a system that ran amok and it turned into a beautiful story that was actually relevant to the podcast episode. And now we have a resolution, which is the new Jane Palmer, or whatever her name is. What's her name? Jill Palmer. Jill Palmer, whatever. 
and she now is has poo poo protection. So when you come home and there is clean everywhere except the pile of poop, you can now thank that wonderful technology. I'm so looking forward to that day when I'm like, wow, my apartment was vacuumed, but not right in that spot buster. But dude, I'm excited. It costs considerably more. How much? Well, I had a $200 store credit and it was on sale for like $350. Oh, that's not bad. Like it was so like, I think it was 200 bucks to not have to vacuum my apartment anymore, which is covered in carpet. Yeah, I have the, I have the Roborock S6 and that thing was like six or 600 or so when I, when I bought it years ago. So, and it's held up great, but it doesn't have poo-poo protection, but we also don't have anything in our house that would poop on the floor unless one of us went insane. <laughs> I mean- Anything's possible, Brian. All right. Well, should we get into an actual topic today? Because I don't want our audience. To <laughs> I just... guess so. But yeah, this is, I'm, I'm excited because the story arc for our audience with this is that I tried to use a cheap off-brand system and it bit me because it was terrible. It literally, it pooped all over your house. Yeah. Yes. It literally, my wor- the worst product experience I have ever had with any product in my life was the, I don't even remember. Echo B or Asus. It was like an Asus brand. It was a cheap, nice. If you don't have a dog, it's probably going to do a mediocre job, but it's worth spending multiples on a better system because not just because it does a better job, but because you don't have to worry about it. And that means you can focus on more important stuff. Yep. So if you are, uh, if you're in the market for a good vacuum, spend a little money on it and don't try to cheap out or it'll bite you in the butt. Yeah, yeah. And this is actually, it's good advice. And we're going to get to the episode in a second, but it's good advice for just pretty much anything. If you try to get the cheapest thing, it's usually not going to work out well. The most expensive thing is usually not even the best option because it's just the, the diminishing returns to get a certain price, but there's a sweet spot somewhere in the middle. And there's usually only a few options in that sweet spot price range. And if you just picked one of the three options, you're fine. So just pick one and move on and don't spend 30 hours researching which poop-free vacuum to get. There's probably only a few. There's only poop-free. one. Okay, there you go. This easy decision. If you have a creature that poops in your house, that's the only vacuum you get, period. So let's move on to our episode today. This is part two of these six, as of right now, six levels of freelancing, unless we add a special seventh level. The six levels of freelancing, part two, if you missed last week's episode, go back and listen to that. It was a really good one. And we talked through the first two levels. And if you were just like, I'm not going to listen to that episode, I only want to listen to this episode, Brian, then we'll give a quick recap of the first two levels of freelancing. And then we're going to give you the last four. We got four to get through this episode and hopefully we can, we can do it justice in the amount of time we have today, Chris. Cool. Let's do it. So let's, let's recap through the first two levels. Level one, a level one freelancer is someone who is in constant yes mode. This is when, where we all start out at. There's nothing to be ashamed of if you're in this level. And this is just where we are trying to figure out what we like to do, what we're good at, where our people are. And we're saying yes to pretty much any project that we could possibly get is just yes. And there's a lot of negatives that come with this area. There's a lot of pitfalls in this area. If you're in this level and if you stay in this level for too long, you're going to spread yourself thin. But People who graduate from this level and get to level two are what we call the generalists. They've said yes enough to where they have clients in a lot of different areas, a lot of different genres of music if you're a producer or uh, different types of business if you're working with business owners or just different types of clients in different niches. You haven't really solidified who you are working for yet. And there are pitfalls with this as well. If you stick around too long, we went over those last week and we, we went, I mean, we went a long time on these first two because there's just so much to discuss. But a generalist, typically they're just not earning that much. They're struggling to say no to things and they have, they're not charging what they could charge if they were a specialist. So anything you want to add to these first two levels, Chris, for yes mode 
is level one and generalist for level two before we move on to level three here to start our episode today? I think you nailed it, man. I, I'm, I think it's a really exciting format that we've got here to talk about these different levels because I know for me and for everybody else I, I know, there have been inflection points in their business when they've graduated, when they've gone up a level, when it's become really clear like, oh, okay, that changes everything. Running ads on YouTube years ago was one of those inflection points. Learning how to write Apple scripts so I could automate my business was an inflection point for me. There were all these different things where all of a sudden I was no longer in level three, I was in level four and started to figure out what it took to get to level five and yeah. Yeah, so let's talk about level three because level three is what we call traction. This is the the level where you are probably part-time to low full-time living. You're starting to actually get some success and repeat customers. You've got word of mouth going. Like you've got some people, maybe you've got some success, some success within some niche, specific niche. And, and people start telling you that you're actually good at what you do. But let me be very clear because I don't think that there is a, a time when you are like, I'm now level three traction. I think level one, two, and three is a spectrum. And I think you're just somewhere on this spectrum between those first three levels. So I just want to make sure that people, if you sound like you're in a lot of different areas from this list, it's because again, business isn't like, it's not as defined as levels. And maybe we should have said the six, the six spectrums of seasons. Yeah, that's true. It is. It, seasons probably is a better analogy because it, it, with seasons, you have this transition point where, you know, maybe some days it's hot, some days it's cold and that's kind of fall for you, you know, and where you're transitioning out of summer into fall and fall to winter where you have wonderful days and then really bad cold days. And so there are transitions and there's some growing pains between these stages, but level three is traction. And that's where a lot of our audience is. And it's worth talking about this because there's a lot of pros for this. Like there's, it's, it's a worth celebrating when you're in this phase as someone who's finally having traction in their business and they feel like they're having success and they're building a little bit of confidence. But there's a lot of pitfalls in this area as well because you get complacent you get comfortable. We start making enough money to pay the bills, like that low full-time income that we talked about. But the, the pitfall is like, you don't really ever get out of this. And so many people have been stuck in level three, what I call the traction phase or the traction level for so long. And, and it's because of some of the pitfalls involved with that. So I think the first thing to talk about in this, Chris, is, is just worth addressing. One of the reasons, one of the big reasons why people are stuck in the traction mode is because uh, of their marketing efforts is they rely 100% on hope marketing. And I've had some content about this on our Facebook community. I've talked about this on YouTube videos and probably in some podcast episodes here and there. But hope marketing is where you're just hoping clients come to you. And if you've reached traction mode, you've likely gotten there 100% off word of mouth. And in these situations, it can lead to this false assumption that I will always have clients coming in from word of mouth. And that's all I have to worry about. And the problem with that is that's not, the, that's not reality. So many people, and Chris, you can back me up on this, like so many people, it's feast or famine with word of mouth. You have no control over it. And the people who are preaching the word of mouth gospel, saying that that's the best way to get clients are the ones who made it to the level that they got to completely off word of mouth. And the problem with that is not, every, not everyone is good enough to get to that level. Let's dig into that idea, Brian, because you, you made a post recently, I think it was a YouTube about survivorship bias. This is an idea that we've talked about in the podcast before, but back in World War II, there were these you know, B-37 bombers that were you know, flying over Europe and some of them came back and some of them didn't. And so what happened is they would look at the bombers that came back and someone was like, you know what? Let's take a picture of a bomber. And every time we find a bullet hole, we'll mark it on our big picture of the bomber so that we can see where all the bullet holes like group on the planes. And then what we'll holes? add bu bullet holes, Brian. You're, you're saying bullet holes. Oh yeah. That sounds about bullet holes. 
bullet bull. You're right. That's an Ohioism. Wow. Okay. I was wondering, I'm like, is this, is, did I just mishear him? And he was just like messing up for anyone wondering. Okay. So Chris is talking about, I love this story. This is actually one of the videos that kind of went, uh, one of the clips from our podcast or from my YouTube video that went kind of viral on TikTok, mid viral. D-bag. We got like 50, <laughs> 50, 80,000 views. We get a few followers on it. Mid viral. I'm kind of a mid viral sensation on TikTok. talkie We're mid viral with TikTok, <laughs> you know? But you're talking about the planes would come back from these, from these yeah. missions and they would have bullet holes, bullet, not bullet holes all over them. And then, so they, they falsely assumed, okay, this is the place. These are the places we need to put the armor onto the planes. Cause these are the places they're getting shot the most. Why is that a problem, Chris? Well, you see, those were the planes that it didn't matter that, that they got shot with a bullet. The planes that came back with no, let's say like, if you look at this, if you look at this picture, and you look at the, I'm all self-conscious about the word bullet now. Just say bullet the, the way you want to say it, Chris, and we'll just make fun of you. If you look at a picture of like all the common places where these B-37s would get shot, surprisingly, not too many bullets were hitting the cockpit where the pilots were. And they weren't hitting the engine either. Or, or hitting the engines. And the reason for that is that the planes whose cockpits were hit by bullets crashed. And same with their engines. Yeah. So the, what they realized was they needed to reinforce the areas that the bullets were not hitting. And that was the, that was the mistake they almost made, which they fortunately did not make the mistake. They realized that the survivorship bias was stating if the, if the plane comes back and there's bullet holes in this area, those are the areas that the plane can be hit on and actually survive a mission. So those areas are fine not to reinforce. And so the reason this comes back to marketing is because as freelancers, when we look to these high up people, these people in our, in our niche who are crushing it with word of mouth and they, that's all they've ever had, it's because they survived long enough for the inevitable word of mouth to grow to the point where they have a full-time list of clients that are paying them top dollar. And anyone who didn't understand marketing never survived to get to that point. So it makes sense that most people who don't understand marketing, who still made it successfully are the ones who were good enough and lasted long enough to make it that position. And that's survivorship, that's survivorship bias 101 right there. So to get to this point, of that we all want to be in, which is full-time word of mouth, no marketing necessary whatsoever. A lot of times for a lot of people that does require some form of client acquisition, some form of marketing to get the word of mouth snowball large enough to where you never have to market again. My goal for people is not to get to where you have to market your entire life. You don't want to be a marketer. That's not a, a fun world to be in. You want to be a freelancer. You want to be a creative, but you have to be willing to put in some work to get to that point and not listen to the people who are making six figures or multiple six figures a year completely off word of mouth because they are one of the ones that survived. They, they won the war of attrition and you may not. And that's the issue we're trying to address. Well, and I think you could look at this from a farming perspective, from a farming metaphor. There's a lot of, there's a lot of like ego and arrogance and defensiveness what do you mean? I don't know what you're talking about. I, I'm not defensive. <laughs> within our creative community, within people that are self-employed creatives, they generally tend to have some pretty strong ideas, especially concerning marketing. And you find some of them that are like, man, if you ever do real, you know, free work, you know, you should be ashamed of yourself. I've seen that. I've seen that too. Yeah, I've seen that attitude. If you ever do paid advertising, you're a fraud. I've seen that as well. And that's a belief that a lot of people have. Yeah. And I, I think that the thing that we have to understand is that marketing, like everything else, is completely a spectrum. If I'm a farmer and I want to grow crops, I can use fertilizer. I can use shovels. I can use a machine that digs rows. I can use another machine that plants the seeds for me. And I can decide at what level of farming I'm going to commit to. 
Dude, if you, anyone who uses machines to farm is of the devil. That's not the way God created us. They want us to do us good, honest work with your hands, not no automated machines. Bill, Billy Doug, Billy Doug, did you hear about Steve-O down the street, man? He is using fertilizer on his crops. They are putting shit on the crops. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a shit machine that literally mixes the shit with water and sprays it all over the ding-dang field. There's shit everywhere. <laughs> he ain't a real farmer. Can you imagine though? That's, but that's the thing. It's, it, it, we're essentially saying something similar when it's like marketing is a part of business. Every, like you see marketing everywhere. You make your art in the digital realm, you hack piece of crap. Yeah. You don't use analog. We've got to tone down the accents, man. We're going to offend our Southern listeners. I'm from Alabama, so I can do it. You're not from Alabama. You can't do that. That's Those are true. my people. But okay, so marketing in a nutshell is putting the right message in front of the right person at the right time. That happens everywhere. Even the people who are at the top level do some form of that when they're networking or when they're when they're meeting with them. I mean, there's, there's some form of, of marketing happening, but what we're talking about is just finding what, what ways you can get the right message to the right person at the right time. And that's the key to getting out of the traction phase into level four, which is the pro level. And we'll talk about that in a second, but it's just worth talking about this because so many people get stuck in this level because they get, they get, they buy into that lie that you shouldn't fertilize the plants. <laughs> Right. Or it could be the opposite of that. And I think, you know, in this traction level, there's a lot of confusion. Brian, have you seen the movie Idiocracy? Bits and pieces. I don't know if I've seen the entire movie. I think I have. You got to watch the whole movie. I know. It got too real too soon and I, and I probably stopped watching. <laughs> it's so, so, so good. And, you know, you're watching it for comedy. It's not like it's a, you know, a surprise twist or something at the end. But so I'm going to kind of like plug your ears for the next 10 seconds because there's a little bit of spoiler here. At the end of the movie... It turns out that they've been watering all the plants with a Gatorade knockoff called Brondo. And it's Brondo. It's got electrolytes. It's what plants crave. And it turns out it's killing all the plants. They're religiously doing the wrong thing and it's destroying their society. And it's, hopefully I'm not too far down a rabbit hole here, but we do the same thing. Let's get back on course here. Yeah, yeah. I think it's so hilarious when we're doing an interview and I say something and you're like, all right, let's get back on course as if it's like, Half the time, it's way off, dude. It's a button that you could push. Yeah. <laughs> and let's get back on course, Chris. <laughs> so that's one of the things that gets people stuck in the level of track, level three, which is traction. But another thing is, and this is just a pattern I've seen more and more and more, the more people I talk to who are at this level, is they have terrible price, a terrible pricing model for their business. So what Brian's talking about here is people just being basic and being like, well, everybody in my industry does this, so therefore I will. A good example of that is that it doesn't matter who your doctor is, he's going to be running 30 minutes late. When you go to see the doctor, he will not be on time. And that is his privilege as a doctor. And in our society, we accept that. But like if you showed up at any other business and they were like, they're like, yeah, be here at three o'clock. And at 340, you still have not been received yet. You're going to be pissed. But for doctors, that's okay. They accept that extremely poor level of customer service. So how does this relate to our listeners? It relates to our listeners because people that are often in traction are focused on what the old timers in their industry are doing. They're like, well, I just industry best practice is to intentionally be 40 minutes late. Even if you're the, if they're the first appointment of the day, you make their ass wait for 40 minutes. You go drink coffee. It's a power move. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's a strange thing, but that's something that there's blindness within the medical industry 
to be like, maybe people would be healthier if we didn't do this as a society. It may be just an idea. Here's the thing. I don't know if that's the best example. I get what you're trying to say, but I think with doctors, they're just trying to juggle too many things to make the most money possible. And that's why they're always late to and make you sit in that room forever because they have like six clients in six different rooms and they just pop in for like three seconds to each one. So I get what you're saying though, Chris, but let's move on. Cause I, that's, that's, that's our view of marketing and why people are stuck in this level. But there's another issue that holds people into the traction level, level three here, terrible pricing model and absolutely no systemization whatsoever. And so I'm going to talk about the pricing thing. Chris, you can touch on the, the systemization part because that's kind of your, your avenue. But for the pricing model, I've, I've talked to so many people that we dig into their business and they are pricing things in a way that they think they're making one thing, but the reality is they're making something completely different. So there's a guy I'm coaching and I was digging into his story and learning more about him. And, and I'm going to throw him completely under the bus right now. I'm so sorry, dude, but I'm not going to name you specifically. So there's a little bit of solace here, but we were digging into things and he was telling me his rates and they were around 50 to $60 per hour. And he was telling me what he does with his clients. And then we did a little bit of an exercise and this was a fun little exercise for any one of our listeners to do. We said, how many hours per week do you typically work? And then we added that up for the full year and got his total hours for the year, minus like vacations and out of town for Christmas and holidays. And then we looked at his income for that year as well. And we divided his income, total income by total hours. And it came out to $17.86 per hour. This is the reason so many people are stuck in level three traction. It's because they think they're making 50 or $60 an hour. But at the end of the day, they're actually, they're actually making $17 and 86 cents an hour. And his, his, at his skill set and his, his, his ability to do things, he could earn at least twice to three times that at a day job somewhere. And so this, this is the thing we have to get past if we want to do anything beyond level three here, which is low full-time to high part-time income is figuring out our pricing and our systems because the systems are the reason his hours were so high, lack of systems, no repeatable outcomes in place. And his pricing model at $50 an hour was the reason uh, his income was so low. And those two things alone are what, caught, what cut his, his hourly rate into a third or a quarter of what it actually was. Chris, what do you want to say on the system side? Yeah, there's so many things here because uh, this was my story is that I was like, I was a little farther along when I started the mastering business where I was charging a flat rate and it was very, very low, but I had no systems at all. And what I started to learn as I was working as an audio mastering engineer was like, man, if I can come up with something that saves me a little bit of time, just a tiny bit of time on each song, then the reality of the math that you just went through, instead of making $17.86, I was making $17.87 and then $17.88 per hour. And it just kept snowballing. I hope it snowballs faster than that, though. It did. But here's the thing. If you want to make one penny more per hour for the entire next year, it doesn't take that impressive of a system to do that, to start to think about, hmm, maybe my files should all come from the same place. Hmm, maybe I should have all my conversations with clients in one silo so that I'm not comparing notes across. When you start to build out things that give you creative superpowers, by letting you not have to do at least some of the stuff that you don't like doing so that you can spend more time doing the stuff that you absolutely love. And are good at. And are good at. That's where that dollar per hour starts to creep up. And boy, you know, I, I, I talk about this quote all the time on the podcast, but Henry Ford in his biography, his autobiography, it was written in like 1926, talks about that when there is something that you do consistently, day in and day out, repetitively, and it's inefficient in either time or money or energy, 
that every time that you do that task, instead of working on your business, instead of for it, so that you can make that task more efficient, you can automate pieces of it, you can systemize some of it, you can, you can systemize it enough that you can actually begin to delegate that to other people and get consistent results from them. When you begin to do those things, the benefit to working on your business instead of for it is that you don't have to pay an inefficiency tax every time you do that task. If you are taking 57 files and dragging and dropping them one at a time into a piece of software that you use rather than building an automation that can do all that for you at the push of a button on your stream deck or with Siri or with Alexa. I mean, not sponsored by. Not sponsored by yet. And <laughs> yet. <laughs> there's so many different things that you can do that take a task that was 57 clicks and 57 drags and turns it into one click. When you begin to do that work, your hourly goes up. And if you fixate on this and you just think constantly, how can I get my hourly up without compromising quality? Nay, with improving quality because I'll be smarter when it comes to the part of my job that requires my particular type of creative genius. Yep. So I think that's a good place to move to the last point we have on level three here. And I'll, I'll make this one short because this is a, an important one to talk about. People who are stuck in level three, the traction phase, making high part-time to low full-time income are typically not working with the best type of client for their service or for their skill set. So I'll, I'll do a quick example is for my, one of my businesses, Good Fortune Media, when looking at the, the clients I could work with as a podcast production agency, which is one of my businesses, is I could work with anyone starting a podcast, which could be someone like two guys in the basement just talking sports for their friends, for their podcast. Or I could take that same skill set, same service, same person, me doing it all, or my, my team doing it all, and put it towards a corporate client who has a budget and they have a big email list and they have ad dollars and advertising dollars to, to get that podcast out into the world. Which one do you think I can charge more? Which do, which do you think is going to be a better client who's taking it more seriously? This is an extreme example, but this is one that, that people neglect to think about all the time. They just think I'm good at something. Who will pay me? Okay, this person will pay me. Good. I'll keep finding more of those people. And they don't think through, is this the best person for my skill set? Now, one caveat is as creatives, we don't always just pick the most profitable customer group to work with because as creatives, we have to have something called fulfillment. We have to be enjoying it. But I will say, if you're working with someone who will pay you $100, but you're passionate about it versus $10,000, but you're not as passionate about it, you will likely be better off at least doing some of the $10,000 work so that you can do more of the $100 work for fun that fills your cup up. So Chris, did you have something to add to this or can we move on? I do have something to add to it. I'm trying to find a Facebook post in our, our community that really, I think, spoke to this. But I found another post I want to share with you from our dude, Steve Baker. And he said, listening to the pod at 0.8x speed on Spotify, game changer. 0.8x speed? <laughs> I love that. How does that have to do with anything that we're talking about right now? You talk really fast. I watch videos at like 3x speed and I listen to podcasts at 2x speed. So I figured I'll save the trouble if I just talk twice as fast. You don't have to listen to me in 2x speed. Only when Chris talks, you have to 3x it because he talks slow as shit. It's true, but I make more sense too. So that's just... <laughs> I will slow things down a bit to speak to our slow thinkers. So we had a guy in our Facebook group. I'm going to shout him out. His name's um, Eric Anderson. And he took a risk here and he posted and he said, please delete if not permitted. I had a, a lead start a conversation and it led him to not trusting me. Where did I go wrong? Any thoughts on this would be greatly appreciated. And he posted like a 
chat. You know, he posted like some of the chat in here. And one of the things, it's like I started to read through it. And one of the things that popped out immediately was Eric brought up this, you know, question, you know, budget and asking, you know, what he had in mind. And the client said back, that's the thing. I don't have a lot of money right now. Not the amount a person of my age should have, you know. <laughs> and, and half the money I have is saved for my sister's wedding. There's the kicker right there. And so Eric's asking a question about what did, where did I go wrong with not being able to land this client? It's called lead qualification. <laughs> right, is that you shouldn't try to land this client. You are aiming your efforts at the wrong people. This guy straight up told you he doesn't have money. And I know this feels weird, but you are trying to make money as, so that you can stay in business as a creative and, in, if you're like me, provide for your family too. So money is going to be part of this equation. And when you get a soul sucker like this who's just kicking tires and just coming in and being a pain in your bunskies, you got to learn how to be like, you know what? I should probably be spending my time looking for the right customer rather than figuring out how to close the wrong customer who A, is either not going to pay you or B, that you're going to make 17 uh, cents, 0.86 per hour at the end of the day because this person, they don't know what they want. Yeah, and so this is, this is the type of stuff that will bring your income down. It's, it's taking your skill set, which you've spent time, money, effort, energy, honing and crafting and developing and improving, perfecting even in some areas. And then you take that skill set and put it to someone like this who openly says they don't have money. They have literally disqualified themselves because as a business, we're not a charity. So we have to take budget into consideration. So by a client who does not have money to do anything is by default, not a client. They are a bad lead. And so you move on and you put your time, effort, and energy into people who are good fits. And I've made this mistake myself. I maybe continue a little bit occasionally to make the same mistake. And I've definitely made it in my past, but this is this is one of those things that we have to, we have no matter how much we like the client, if the budget's not there, there are a slight exceptions to this rule, but for most part, they're not a good, they're not a good fit and you should move on. There's caveats for everything. It's a gray area in certain situations where maybe they're well connected or maybe it will actually be a good exposure and this and that. But by and large, you should not try to land a client who is a bad fit. Totally. And sort of last thought on level three, back to one of the OG, you know, things that we would quote all the time on the podcast back in the day. Again, from Henry Ford's autobiography, is that Henry Ford talks in that book about this idea that there are people who struggled to walk past a small pile of money in order to get to a bigger pile of money. People at level three cannot walk past the smaller pile of money. And when an opportunity for, oh my gosh, this guy might pay me, even though it sounds like it would be a nightmare. What does he need money for his sister's wedding? Half of his money is for... <laughs> yeah. Wait, what? You're paying for your sister's wedding? Okay. It's a little weird, but okay. You're not marrying her, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> He might be from Alabama. Who knows? He might be. I love throwing, I love throwing Alabama under the bus. <laughs> it's, a, it's a hobby of mine. Alabama is a, a, a crazy, crazy place. Anyways. So yeah, getting to level four means starting to recognize that your time is limited. And when you waste it on somebody who is not the best use of your time, that you could have spent it doing something else. You could have been working on your business instead of for it. You could have been sitting down and writing out what are all the characteristics of the perfect customer? What does the perfect customer look like? Have I ever worked with them before? How old were they? Did they live locally? Did they speak my language? How did they find me? This is a lot of these, a lot of these things are what you do to create what you call a customer qualification, like a lead qualification checklist. Um, you don't have to get too technical with this. This is usually something for more advanced people in like bigger businesses, but it's basically like, what are the bare minimum things I have to have in a client 
before I'm willing to work with him. My cousin, I love my cousin Scotty, and he is, he's a ladies' man. He is, he is a player. And I had dinner with him the other day, and he was telling me about all the dating apps. And, you know, I'm an old geezer, and I was just like, oh, God, that sounds terrifying. And like, I'm so glad I didn't have to go through that. All the new and modern ones like, uh, like eHarmony and uh, <laughs> Christian Mingle, right? Like those are the new the Christian new Mingle looks like it has, but I'm just kidding. But he was okay. telling me about his systems and he's like, look, and this is going to be offensive, guys. I'm sorry. This is just, this was Scotty telling me things that he had noticed by dating a lot on these apps. And he's like, look, if there's no picture like of their whole body on there, rest assured, you probably don't want to go on a date with them. There's a reason that they decided not to do that. If they immediately like friend you outside of the app or something like that, that's a red flag. And he's going through all these things and I'm thinking like, oh, that, that's interesting that you can immediately filter down to a perfect match. One of those things might be no like leopard print clothing. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> so here, here's the thing. Now that you've offended some of our audience, Chris, I, I do want to say that there's a really good analogy there. I like that, which is in marketing, we have to be just as quick to exclude. And there are certain criteria that your cousin has that he excludes people. So he's not swiping right on the wrong people. However, the reason he's able to do that is because he has virtually an unlimited amount of leads in his hand. He can swipe left as many times as he wants. He can swipe right as many times as he wants. It's so low risk. And that's why a lot of these newer dating apps have taken off because it's so low barrier. It's just like, I can make snap judgments and then I can have a deeper conversation, go to the next level and find out, is there maybe a little bit more potential there? And then I can take things deeper and go on a date and find out, is there potential here? And then I can go on multiple dates. The same exact thing in, in marketing, which is you should have enough lead flow coming in so you can virtually unlimitedly swept, swipe left or right just on snap decisions about whether or not you want to work with this client. And then once you've swiped left or right on that client, then you take it to the next level if you still want to work with them and jump on a call with them and, and talk through the process. And then if they're still qualified to work with you, then you give them a price and then you keep going down and you just keep going down until you're working with them and you're working together and they're a client. So that's, that's a really good analogy. I love that. You know, what's fun about this is one of the things that we've been able to do that we've been blessed with, with this podcast is getting to watch people jump up levels. And when hashtag blessed, dude, hashtag, hashtag blessed. blessed. Yeah, dude, you were doing the hand sign. I was like, I don't know what that sign means. Hashtag dude. Okay. Boomer. When you see someone go from level three to level four, John McLucas is such a good example. To see John go from level three to level four was so fun. And it, it took a, a while. You know, we've known John for what, like three, four years? And to see him transition in that and to see him start to like fly up this ladder is just so exciting to see people do that and to see people grasp that. And I think probably, I think I'm speaking for you too, Brian, but we're probably the most excited about seeing people switch from level three to level four. Yeah. I, was, I would say so, man. We've talked about the transition from level two to level three. We've actually talked a lot about making that transition and what you need to do to make that transition. But let's talk about what it's like to be level four. This is level four or six. So this is not even the top of the rung here, but this is what we call pro. We couldn't come up with a better name than that, but level six or level, but level four is pro. There we go. It sounds super basic, but this is typically someone who's full-time income. They're above and hopefully pretty well above $50,000 US per year or whatever your local equivalent is. And there's a reason that they're at this level is because they have some solid systems in place for their business. They may be basic, but there's something in place that they're able to do repeatable outcomes. They're able to, and Chris can talk about this more because I don't really talk systems. Chris will talk your damn ear off with systems if you let them. But there's a couple other things that Chris could probably talk on is they overcomplicate things. And this is a detractor for their business in this level, but they also have a decent grasp on pricing. They have a good idea of how to price 
projects to a level that they can actually make a good living so that they're not making $17.86 per hour thinking they're making 50 to 60 an hour. Um, and they have some sort of source of clients. It might just be word of mouth. Maybe there's some from social media. Maybe there's some from TikTok. They have marketing techniques. Yeah, they have some sort of marketing in place. Maybe they're doing retargeting ads, but that is, that's kind of the nutshell of the level four. And we do have a lot of those in our audience. So it's worth talking about some of the, the pitfalls of this as well, because to get from level four to level five, it's hard. It's really hard to, to get to level five, which we would call six figures, you know, six figure creative. You can call it a master level, whatever you want. But to get to level five is difficult to scale to that level as a freelancer, as a service provider. And there's some reasons for that. So Chris, talk about the systems reason that holds people back here. Cause this is, this is the big time where you start having to work on your business to go from pro to master, um, level four to level five, maybe master master sounds so, so stupid. I'm going to change the name and I'll, I'll introduce it to something else later. And you guys can say like, Brian, that's a good name for that, but continue and tell us about why people are stuck in level four. Well, when I see people that are stuck at level four, there's a couple things that are common. They do have some systems. They have figured out like, okay, I've got a web form that clients are filling out, or I've got a spreadsheet that we are using to manage the business. But often these systems are thrown together. There's no experience in building systems. There's no knowledge about what's even possible when you're you know, trying to build an automation without using any code. Like You can do pretty much anything you want if you know what hoops to jump through. So a lot of times people who are at the pro level they're starting to get excited about systems because they're recognizing, huh, I made myself more efficient. I have less stress. I have more time. I have more money. Interesting. But they don't have any experience building systems. And so often what happens at this level is they build overcomplicated systems, systems that break all the time, systems that are undependable. Tell us, tell us like, give me an example. Cause I know when you were like, you were transitioning from like 50, 60,000 a year to where you first broke six figures um, in your mastering business. Uh, and this was years ago. What, were, what was, give me one uh, example of an overcomplicated system that did more to detract you than help you. Boy, I mean, this is a huge rabbit hole to go down, but I, for a while there tried to automate like each project getting automatically added to my calendar. And this is back in the dark ages. So it was actually iCal on my Mac. And then my scripts would go and look at my day and it would, you know, do a bunch of calculations. It just was nuts. iCal was not consistent enough. So I sank all this time into developing a system that wasn't dependable. So I ended up abandoning it. And also, what was it supposed to do? Like you, you, what was the point of it? It was supposed to help me know what all needs to get done today. So you couldn't just look at your calendar and figure that out? Here's the thing. I didn't want to manually enter those events into my calendar. I wanted them to be automatically entered by my system. Easy to do now, to be honest. Today, these days, it's super easy to do. Yeah. Back then, it was not. This is pre-Zapier. This is probably even pre-WordPress. I had a guy one time that was talking about doing a coaching program with me for systems. And we had a conversation about it you know, over email. I think we had some conversations on phone and, and video chat as well. And then one day, he emailed me and said, you know, I don't, I don't think I need coaching on systems because look at this Zap I made. It has 26 steps. And it was like... <laughs> 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 I love you, but that is such a classic mistake. That's like saying, hey man, look at this amazing professional photo I edited that I is dramatically over-edited that looks stupid. I ran 16 filters on Instagram over and over again because that's what I thought looked good. And we come from audio and we see this all the time for people that are like, I'm going to start recording myself at home. 
and I'm going to mix my own vocal. I'm going to put some effects on it. Every, every single insert is full with a plugin that's just completely wrecking it. Yeah. And, and by the time they get done, they haven't realized that what they did made it so much worse. Yep. So the, yeah, in, in audio, the best mixers are A, subtracting, they're not adding, and B, are relatively simplistic and they get it right at the source. But that's that's another time, another tale for another day when it comes to the nerdy audio world that Chris and I came from. But I, I love this I love this example of Zap because that was my thing too. When I first got into automation for like email marketing automation, I would create these really ridiculous automations in ActiveCampaign. In Zapier, I'd create these really ridiculous uh, Zaps in Zapier and then they would break and you'd be like, I don't know what the hell to do. And that's, and that's what the problem is. You overbuild, something happens, it wrecks your business because you built your business on this automation happening. And then to troubleshoot it is too difficult. And so you've just wasted your time. You basically have to delete it and start over and make it simpler. So making a system for your business, beginning to build automations, it is an art form. There is absolutely an art of automation. And when you're new to this art, like every other art, you typically do it too much. And where that becomes problematic is it's not just that you have a really ugly picture of yourself on Instagram now. It's that your business, which is supposed to be dependable, which is supposed, you're supposed to act like an adult with clients and then your systems break and you look like a darn fool. That's where this starts to get complicated. And where I think if you looked at the art of automation and you thought about it like being a ninja, there's all these different moves that you can do to automate something. There's different types of punches. There's different types of kicks. There's different types of blocks where, uh oh, something went wrong. Did the system tell you that something went wrong or did you have to figure that out on your own? That's a, a move within automation. And when you talk about this idea of being an automation ninja, it ultimately comes back and every you know, ninja legend or movie or TV show is there's always some sort of mystical power from within that the ninja can call on. It could be chi or it could be the Care Bear stare. Like it, it's some what? sort of, <laughs> that was stupid. Okay. It could be chi or it could be, no, we're not, we're leaving that in. That's, okay. that's the that's the beauty of editing is James can make you look dumb. It's just it's something that's internal that when they reach down and grab it, that all of a sudden a simple punch and a simple kick that they start to do these amazing combos. You see this in the, the game Street Fighter and the game Mortal Kombat. Let me push back a little bit. This is a fun topic, and I'm going to argue with Chris on this. I love when we get to argue. Well, Brian, you're absolutely right, and I'm glad that you walked into that trap because that is exactly what I'm saying. Bruce Lee is famous for saying, I do not fear the man who knows 1,000 moves. I fear the man who has practiced one move 1,000 times. Pretty sure you said that, that quote last week. Too. I did, and that's worth saying it again. But this chi, this internal thing, this well of power, this soul that the ninja can pull from means to do the simplest thing. It means to be able to look at the system and be like, you know what, 26 zaps is too much. I think I can do this in three. I think I can do this in a more simple way that'll be more dependable. And when you start to combine the wisdom and knowledge to choose the simple solution, the Indiana Jones like thing where you know the guy with the sword comes out and swings it all around and he pulls out his gun, bang, the end. Hilarious, but beautiful in its simplicity and its elegancy. Elegancy? We're going to stick with elegancy and its use of technology, right? And people that are stuck at level four are often, they're being too fancy. And, you know, I, I got to drop a cuss word here. It's going to be bleeped out, Chris. We're a clean podcast now. Well, you guys will, you guys will catch the drift. Tim Ferriss is, has popularized the saying, when it comes to systemization, he's popularized the saying, what gets fancy gets fucked. I love that quote so much. 
It's so good. And a, a bad ninja, a bad automation ninja comes in and does it like, wah, wah, wah. Like they start doing all the crazy stuff and they're going to try to like do a like flip kick spinning thing in the sky where the actual master is going to come in and take two fingers and poke them in the chest and their opponent falls on the ground. Getting from pro to master is about knowing how to choose, find, and master the simplest way to build a system that makes you into a rock star. Yeah, so I'll also, I'll add to this because I don't disagree with anything you said, but I will never say systems are automation. Those are two completely separate things. And I'll think, I'll say this, I've, I've noticed this in your mastering business that there were a lot of things that you automated that likely should have not been automated if it would have just been outsourced to someone to delegate where it was really complicated to build this thing out and just putting a human's butt into the seat to do that thing. It might've made sense in your business, Chris, because you were high volume, low cost. And so you have to be really, really, really efficient for that business model to work. But for most people who are working with higher dollar projects where, I mean, at least a thousand dollars, you know, average per project, most of these things, you're not doing them so often, like 10, 20 times a day that you can literally just have an assistant to do a lot of these things for you. And you create a system first And then eventually you can look to maybe once that person has perfected that system to then start automating parts of that system, but only once it's been perfected. So that's the, that's the one caveat I want to add to this. You're absolutely right. I completely agree with you. I hate it. I want you to argue with me. Well, I'm going to argue a caveat. To my caveat? I'm a caveat to your caveat. Okay. Okay. Is it caveat or caveat? It's caveat. Caveat. Okay. You can tell it's like 4 p.m., 5 p.m. on a Friday, and we're just like, we don't care anymore. We're just like, I don't know if our audience likes or hates this. Just comment on our Facebook community and tell us if you hate this stuff. We'll try to make better content for you. And you hit the nail right in the head, is that often people will automate or try to automate instead of systemize and then delegate. The beauty of a system is it takes a high bar and it brings it down low enough that somebody else can do it. The reason that people often struggle with this is that there are two levels of building automations. You know, you call this like brown belt and white belt. A brown belt, there's a guy I know, um, I'm not going to say his name, but he is one of the best systems builders I've ever met. I love that you'll throw our, our own community member's name under the bus for that earlier example. And you won't talk about the guy who's actually a good automations person. He, he'll know who he is, but this is a more painful learning moment, as shall we say. And, and so for him... His systems are elegant. They're beautiful. They're absolutely gorgeous. He's doing unbelievable things with them, but nobody else can use those systems except him. He doesn't know how to build portable systems, portable automations, things that other people can come into your business and participate with you in it. And often those systems and those automations actually make that collaboration possible. It makes it possible to, to, keep the conversations about specific projects siloed enough that you can follow along and know where in the life cycle this project is. And what people that have just begun to get into automation haven't figured out yet is how to build a system that allows any old person off the street, any old person that they would like to work with to learn how to provide value in their business. And this is, this is super normal businessy stuff. Yeah, it's, it's funny because I'm, I'm just hearing in my head, I'm hearing standard operating procedures, SOPs. That's what I'm hearing. An SOP on how to work this system, yeah. And S, yeah, SOP means standard operating procedure. And for a lot of people, like right now, if you're using a standard operating procedure that is a 
piece of paper and a clipboard, which is the way it used to be. <laughs> I think that's crazy, but it's a hell of a lot better than using nothing. We're using Process Street for ours. What are you using? Uh, I use Gravity Forms. Okay, yeah. It's, it's similar, actually. They're very closely the, the same. I adore, let, let me just shout the praises of Gravity Forms on here. If you're a WordPress user, Gravity Forms is a way to easily make forms that have logic baked in them. So like if the client answers yes to this, then show them this question. If they answer no, don't show them this question. So you can build out, even on someone's cell phone, a process where, you know, if you have an employee that's going to show up and set up a venue for you, that they pull their phone out and it walks them through, first do this, then do this, then go lock the van, then go bring this inside, then plug this inside, and they can check it off as they go. And you can update it remotely and be like, okay, well, we need to add this extra step because it's been a problem in the past. That's so interesting. I've never thought about using Gravity Forms as an SOP. Maybe we need to talk about it. We should, we should, we should table this because this is, okay, so this is two level six entrepreneur people talking about this stuff. We need to, we need to table this, bring it to another discussion because this is, this is super interesting for me because it's top of mind, but not relevant for the level four pro because that's, that's stuff like, we're talking about like a lot of just basic business stuff, which is hilarious how basic this is on a fundamental level in the greater world of business, but how utterly foreign this is to creatives and freelancers. So we're hopefully kind of bridging the gap a little bit. We, we will talk about that specific discussion, SOPs and, and where you hold those things and how you operate them and all and how you edit them later on. We're going to table that. So let me, let me just give us just one example before we move into this of a great system that uses an SOP that we do through Gravity Forms. One of the best, most effective systems I've ever made was to say, okay, I'm hiring people and I want to pay them once a month, but I want to make sure that you and your employee are on the same page, that you guys have a good relationship because before the employee sends me an invoice, they fill out this form and they rank themselves and they rank me and it takes them maybe five minutes. And that comes in with the invoice and I can look at it and be like, oh man, they're stressing about this thing. I really need to create a system where this is no longer a part of their stress with their job. And it, that system allows us to be on the same page and it creates a stronger relationship. It's the best thing I ever did in my business in regards to working with other people. And it's when people start to do stuff like that, that they begin to be able to move into that six-figure creative zone because they can actually bring in help and know that the, you're on the same page and they're not like stewing in the background refusing to actually communicate with you that they're somewhat happy. Yeah, so I think this is a good uh, I think this is a good place to move on to the next level. We'll come back to the SOP conversation, the standard operating procedures and system stuff cuz I I'm super interested in this It's the top of mind for me. I I love that conversation. It's it's too advanced I think for this general kind of conversation of the levels right now. But let's talk about level 5. I've rebranded from level 5 master, which sounds super arrogant, to level 5 is the six-figure creative. Ooh, Ooh, content. That's nice. Yeah, yeah. so tied in with the branding. All right, so level five freelancer, you are making 100K a year or more. You've got, in our opinion, amazing, beautiful, elegant systems in place. Assuming you have not worked yourself to the bone to get here, the best six-figure creatives have done these things. The systems that are portable, you talked about that earlier, Chris. Teachable. And Chris, what's the last thing here? And they're dependable. They don't crap the bed. These are hard things, and it's a lot of work to do that. What inevitably happens at this master level, at the six-figure creative level, is that this person is scheduling time every week, to work, every week to work on their business, not for it. And they might even be spending most of their time working on their business instead of for it at this point. I was when I hit six, six figures. I, I spent most of my time optimizing for, for better growth in the future. But 
I had to schedule time to work on my business, not for it, specifically on simplification because I'd add a system here, I'd add a system there, I'd add another system there, and oh, this new product came out that can take the place of three of my systems with one new system. So what can I do to, with, with my business to make it more simple, to get less questions from people that I've hired, people that I'm working with? What can I do to just make this business not something that I need like a 400-page like book just to remember, well, it's this zap which connects to this Apple script, which then... In, you know, shines a flashlight on my sundial, which then scares the mouse. So these six-figure creatives are beginning to understand or already have a great understanding that simplicity is the highest form of sophistication. I love that line. It took you like six tries to get it, but it sounded perfect because our editing. So (laughs) I'll push back a little bit here because I will say not all six-figure creatives have amazing, beautiful, elegant systems in place. Just the best ones. Some six-figure creatives got there because they focused on working with high tier clients for high dollar amounts. So I do know a good number of, of people at level five here who got there because they just work with high dollar, high price gigs. And that is pretty much all they do. And that's one of the problems is that you can get stuck at level five if all you've done is raise your prices and then you got to a point where you're at the top of the market and you cannot raise your prices anymore and you're not systemized so you can't take on any additional projects and you're not systemized so you can't take on any additional help. You get stuck there at six figures, which to me sounds pretty great. Being stuck at level five isn't really being stuck. It's just, it's just a matter of like, do you want to go to level six or not? Not everyone needs to or wants to go to level six, which we will talk about in a second. But level five, you can get there without having crazy, amazing, beautiful, elegant, portable, teachable, dependable systems in your business. You can get there just on hard work and high prices and, and skill. Like a lot of people get there just because they're incredible at what they do and they can command high prices and they have the confidence to do it. They have a brand of some kind. Yeah, but- that doesn't necessarily mean that you have a healthy business. Some people, they work themselves to death to get to this level. Some people, you know, there's a, there's a million different ways, but we're, we're trying to pin, paint the picture of the optimum level five creative. This is a six-figure creative. And, uh, and I also say just on the marketing front, someone that's, that's at this level is likely at that 100% word of mouth thing at this point where they have most of their clients coming from word of mouth, from referrals. Because at this point, you've worked with so many people that you are starting to get referrals from every, every one of your past clients. They come back as repeat clients all the time. So that at a certain point, as a freelancer, you hit this, this ceiling that is, we are out of time. There's only so many people we can service at this time. So do you want to scale to a larger business and turn into a full agency, which is one path to level six? Or do you want to maybe take the skill set that you have created and turn it into other businesses. And that's another path to level six. And level six, we'll just go into it now. There's not a whole lot to talk about here because not that many people are interested or able to get to level six, but that is what we'd call the graduation level. That's where you've graduated from freelancer to entrepreneur or freelancer to business owner. And that's where you actually have a business. This is where, I mean, Chris and I are kind of there. I mean, we're- Yeah, we're there. Yeah. So one of the things that's interesting about this level six graduation is it can take a couple forms. So I got this buddy, Sean. Sean used to be the lead singer for this band, Attack Attack. I toured with them back in the day. You did? Oh man, they're amazing. So Sean used to be the lead singer and at some point he decided he didn't want to do that anymore. And so he started a vape company and he made vape juice and he sold it. I hate that phrase so much. Vape juice. It just gross sounding. <laughs> it does sound gross. You put it in a sippy cup, Chris? <laughs> like what you- He puts it in a sippy cup. And what Sean found, you'd love Sean, man. He, he now, well, I'll tell you his full story here. So, so what Sean found, he's definitely at level six here, was that he could license the recipe and branding for the company that he created to a bigger company and they would pay him money 
every single month. So Sean went out and started another company and he sells cold brew coffee. He's, and he makes custom electric guitar pedals that are the most crazy, beautiful pedals I've ever seen in my life. But he was able to figure out, okay, I've built amazing systems. I've got recipes. I've got processes. I've got checklists. I've got skills. And I've created a company that's valuable without me. That actually, that is probably level seven. Because I'll say this. There is a level seven. I knew there would be. I knew there would be. Level six is like, is a wonderful place to be. But it is dependent on you being there. I don't think any of my businesses could run without me, unfortunately. I haven't got to that level of sophistication, of team, of all that stuff. And I am going to hire more people this year. But level seven... The, the level seven is not a freelancer anymore. We're out of the freelance world. You've already graduated. So it's like, it's kind of like the level two entrepreneur, I guess you could say, where you now have a, an actual business that runs whether you're there or not. And that's a, that is, that's a big thing to build. That's tough. It is. And it's funny. I said same, but that's actually not true. Bounce Butler is a passive form of income. It, and to be honest, without it, when my health issues happened, I would have been in some serious trouble. I'd take you, I, I would push against that because you don't get new clients or customers without you. So how do you grow? Well, that's a great question. I have done almost no marketing outside of this podcast. Oh, so you're doing what's called hopium. Okay. I'm smoking that hopium on Bounce Baller. I will, shortly I'll be doing a lot more focus on the marketing, but that thing just, it grew through the pandemic. It just continued to grow and continued to make it so I was sure I could make payroll every month. And it, it was amazing to have this thing that I, I build a piece of intellectual property and it's out there working for me. For me, it was an AI that I coded myself. For my buddy, Sean, it was a concept called Big Bottle. And it was just a really big bottle of vape juice. And people loved it. People were like, wow, this is the big, you can get a lot more when you buy the big bottle. And so everybody wants the big bottle. Let me take a step back. I do have a couple, a couple software companies. I do love them. I do love the recurring revenue situation. Like it's all great. But if I remove myself from those businesses, they won't grow. They will start to shrink inevitably. You'll hit the point of churn outpaces any word of mouth growth at a certain point. It'll stagnate and likely die off because people are not hearing about it anymore. But I just want to go back to our audience, our listeners right now. Level six graduation may not sound that appealing to you right now. And that's completely okay. When I was level one, two, three, probably four, all I wanted to do was what I was doing in audio. And that was completely fine. And that's, if that's where you are, it, for me, it was audio. So freelancing for anyone that's not in audio is, is who I'm talking to here. But eventually you start to develop new skills. You learn new things. You develop new passions. You, you get around new people with new ideas. And so if there's ever a chance for you to graduate, like feel free to do that, but don't feel like you have to. But I'm just talking about like, when you get to level six, it's fun because you have so many different skills and you can utilize them in so many different ways, especially if you've built a platform like Chris and I have, like you can build your own platform somewhere else, your own podcast, your own YouTube channel, your own, whatever you want to do. Once you have an audience of some sort, level six is even more fun because then you have a baked in marketing channel. So totally. And I, I think what I, I love what you said about how you never set out to be level, level five. You never set out for level six. And I'm there too. When I, I'm there too. When I decided I was going to work for myself, I thought the most I would ever make was by the time I was 40, I figured I'd make about $40,000 a year. Mine was 70. I had heard like $70,000. I heard someone making that at a salary position. I was like, man, that'd be so cool to make that much money. Yeah. I, I set out for 40 and I never imagined that there was any such thing as someone that was, that was a six-figure creative. I didn't think it was possible. No, I had heard doctors making like a quarter of a million a year. And I was like, that's insane. And then the second you start making more as a creative than someone does as a doctor, that's, that's insane. Yeah, dude. So to me, I think some of the value of this episode 
is to start to think about and assess yourself and say, well, what level am I right now? Well, what are the cliches? Or where am I on the spectrum from one to six? Where am I on the spectrum from one to six? And what are the cliches that are common for people that are in that same zone as me that I've been committing as well? Maybe I'm still charging hourly or maybe I haven't automated my invoicing yet or maybe I don't use forms at all or that I have no idea how to use Google, Spre- Google Sheets. Shame. It is a good tool. Okay, so the, what's funny is like there are everyone listening right now, I bet most people at least was like, oh, to one or two of those. Like, oh, I don't know that. I don't do that. And it's likely why you're probably at level two or three right now. <laughs> well, and so let's bring this home and get some warm and fuzzy feelings here. As you move up these levels that we're talking about, as you advance in this spectrum, you get to be more creative, not less, more. It takes a lot more creativity to make $100,000 a year as a creative. It takes a lot of creativity to build portable, teachable, dependable systems. It takes a lot of creativity to come up with a brand that people resonate with. And you get more creative tools to play with. You're not in this situation. When I was a little kid, I used to love to build stuff in my basement, but I was often limited to like, okay, I have some screws, an old scrap of wood and like some- Got to MacGyver that shit. Yeah, I got to MacGyver it. And like, it's a tetanus. The only thing that my machine that I built is good for is giving you tetanus. And, you know, I built it out of trash and yeah, it's kind of cool. My first guitar was like that. I tried to build my first guitar, never having even held a real guitar. And it sort of looked like a guitar. That's our audience. Our audience is trying to build a business after never actually knowing what a business is. Not all of you, by the way, not all of you, just some of you. Not all of you. I was like, oh, we got these like weird little copper nails. I bet if I like smash down the tops of these, I could turn them into tuners on my guitar. And, you know, oh, we've got this piece of wood and my dad refinished the banister. So I'm going to use that refinish to make the neck look brown because that's what a guitar neck is supposed to be brown. And I'll use an old piece of a doorbell because it's got a coil in it. And that's electric guitar pickups have coils in it. And I saw a preview of a movie where Einstein had a coil on his electric guitar that he made. And it was super, it was a terrible. Where are you going with this, Chris? When people are trying to build their business with hay bale and spit wire in a complete vacuum, and they're making it up all as they go, instead of finding places that are resources for them, communities where they can learn from other people, it just, you stall out. Inevitably, the, the things that you need to break through, the ceilings you need to crush, the plateaus that you need to climb above, those are all weird ways to say that, but you know what I'm trying to say here. All of those have been done by humans before you, and they've learned ways to do it. That's why, man, freaking Henry Ford's autobiography from 1926 is still useful. He still had to work his way through plateaus in his own business as a factory owner. And that's an exciting thing for us. And what we're preaching to you guys is this isn't about getting richer and less creative. This is about finding ways to leverage your creativity in different and new and exciting ways to start to build systems, to start to do marketing, to start to build branding, to find ways that you can capture a moment when a customer is excited automatically and repurpose that into a testimonial or a Google review. There are things that you can do that require immense creativity to do them. And as soon as your brain starts to figure out, okay, if I think in this way and I think about how to build something, it's so, so fun. It's like building a song. It is as creative as any artwork I've ever done before. And in many cases more, 
because great creativity is this amazing combination of function and form. I'm a huge fan of Dieter Rams. He's this crazy Bauhaus, Bauhaus designer from Germany, and he made a watch. And the watch is functional, and it does its job, but it's also simple and elegant in its beauty. And Dieter Rams is famous for making machines that are both beautiful and effective. And that's our job as creatives, is to build businesses that are both beautiful and have great form. They, they marry form and function. So I think this is a good place to wrap this episode up here. We've gone through these five or six or seven levels now. I think we kind of we kind of put this, the seventh one in there, but we'll just, we'll label this as six, whatever. But here's the thing. I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't mention this at the end of the episode, but if you need help with systems, Chris Graham's your guy. Hey, thanks, Brian. Where can people go to sign up for whatever you're doing on the system side? ChrisGrahamCoaching.com. We've got a couple coaching programs. I sometimes do one-on-one coaching. We do small group coaching, but I'm working on a new coaching program right now. And I'm taking people and walking them through it as I launch it. Basically, it's, it's, a, it's a course. It's a video course where I teach you how to automate your business without code. And then we meet and we hang out and we do some one-on-one coaching after that. Uh, so go to chrisgramcoaching.com and uh, check that out. So yeah, that's great. And, and Brian, we've had a lot of conversations about this of we're on a podcast together. I've sort of become the systems guy and you've become the marketing guy. Talk about that. If people need help with the marketing, that if people want to level up and marketing is one of these ingredients that they absolutely need, where can they go to learn more from you, Brian? Well, I'll be, I'll be honest. I'm not taking on coaching clients right now. I, I just take on a tiny amount at a time, but I am accepting applications if you are interested in this because this is not my full-time thing. The, the coaching side is, is something I'm testing out. I'm working on and building my own systems to run that program a bit more efficiently, but it is one-on-one help for me to get marketing in a place so that you're not relying on Hopium and word of mouth marketing for the rest of your life. If that's something you need help with, just go to sixfigurecreative.com slash apply, A-P-P-L-Y, and you can apply for coaching. And then next time I'm accepting people in, you'll be the first that I contact. Great story with that is we got to give a shout out to Brian Skeel. He's been a long stay on this podcast. He was, he was originally your mixing engineer for years. Well, he was my barista first. And then I hired him to be my mix engineer. And that went crazy well. And then he listened to the podcast too damn much. And he took your course and he grew his business like crazy and he had to fire me. And then he went through my coaching program for systemization. He's in that right now. We were just hanging out yesterday and he just hired you. <laughs> yeah. He's about to say, I don't know if you knew that, Chris, but he took me on for marketing coaching. Yeah. yeah. He's crushing it. And it gives me endless joy to see Brian graduating. Brian skill. Yeah. To see, to see Brian Skeel graduating from barista to full-time mix engineer to absolutely destroying it with his own production company. Like, what a badass. Yeah, I, I, I held back on doing coaching for so long because I personally hate like the guru kind of thing. But man, I'll tell you right now, like I, we've talked about this before, but I've spent uh, well over a hundred grand on coaching courses, consulting on my own. And so I just know the value of it. So I fell into the trap, Chris. I'm offering it and I love it. And it is what it is. It's great. I, when I'm coaching somebody, I learned so much about what we should be talking about on the podcast. Same. It's great for content too. So Chris, anything, any last words you want to say to wrap this up? You're usually, you're usually the wrap up guy. Yeah. You always have something poignant. Poignant. So let me get my burp out real quick. Uh, Please keep go. that in. That's poignant as hell. <laughs> <laughs> so well-spoken. For a lot of creatives, 
it's difficult to look at a spectrum like this and to think about, oh, there's different levels of creative. Because when we hear about creativity, there's an aspect of your soul involved. And when you judge someone else's creativity or you put them in a box, it can feel weird. It can feel like you said, well, your soul is not uh, worth as much as, you know, an Andy Warhol's soul, like somebody else. When we look at these, I think it's important to realize the journey that you're on is a creative one. You're not a photographer or a mix engineer or a podcaster or a videographer. You're a creative and the current brush that you are using is the type of creativity that you are doing. I think that all of us as creatives are called to evolve, are called to grow, and are called to look at the world differently. Because what we do as creatives is we show people the world in a different light. We take something we saw or something we felt or we understood, and we make some dope art so that other people can feel that too. And when we look at the way that we grow our businesses and we look at the way that we can have vision for being able to do this for the rest of our lives and to do it comfortably and to do it in a spot where our anxiety about not, able to, not being able to pay the bills actually ends up destroying our creativity. When we start to think about this, we can start to imagine what's possible. And isn't that our job as a creative is to wonder what's possible. No one's ever done that before. Maybe I could pull it off. Maybe I could be the first person to make $100,000 a year I don't know. Uh, gluing Polaroids uh, to benches as art pieces. I don't know. Something kooky and creative. Maybe you can. Maybe you're creative enough to figure it out. Mm-hmm.